St Kilda, like Hawthorne, won its first flag during the 1960s. Sadly for the Saints, that's where the similarity ends. Hawthorne now has 13 flags, the Saints still have just the one. I'm standing on the spot where Barry Breen launched the kick that scored the behind in the 1966 grand final that ended what was then a 69-year drought. That's a point, St Kilda in front! St Kilda in front! Since then, the Saints have played in five grand finals, but for various reasons, some might say desperately unlucky circumstances, the ultimate football prize continues to elude the club. In tonight's special, St Kilda 50 years on, I speak to a host of St Kilda people dating back to the 66 Premiership Triumph in search of a better understanding of the sad history of one of the AFL's foundation clubs. So there's nothing left now but to celebrate. Since entering the competition in 1897, the Saints have played in more than 2,300 matches for just the one flag. They have won 27 wooden spoons, twice as many as any other club. But 50 years ago, glory at last. Since leaving their residence at Marabba, the tricky wind and firm ground provide testing conditions. Kevin Cowboy Neal was 21 years old when he kicked five goals six in the grand final. Almost half the Saints score. 50 years on, is it still a badge of honour or has it become a bit of a burden? Oh no, I think it's, it's probably become a bit of a burden now that it's been that long since, uh, since we've won our only one and uh, you know we've been going 140 years. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's become like it was fantastic when it happened and for the next 20 or 30 years, but it has now, you know, it's time to let that go and see if we can get another one. And it's through for Neil's fifth goal. The scoreboard tells the story. In the week leading up to the 1966 grand final, St Kilda superstar and captain Darrell Baldock spent most of the week at his farm at Malden, 135 kilometres north of Melbourne, trying to overcome a knee injury. You're unlucky in a lot, but you were very lucky leading up to 66. I mean, I remember the conjecture about whether Daryl Borlock would play. Captain, your star forward. Uh, were you aware of it at the time, that there was a massive doubt about whether that knee injury would allow him to play? I knew he, he had a, uh, a bit of a problem with his knee. We knew that, but uh, we didn't really know until after training that night that we'd been going for probably about 25, 30 minutes and... Uh, Yabby blew the whistle and called us in. He said, look, that'll do us. We'll go in now. We walked off the ground. Doc, you know, there was people everywhere and he walked off the ground without limping, which was great. And he got in the room. He could hardly put his foot on the ground. <laughs> his knee was that sore. But, you know, to be able to go out in two days' time and, and play in the grand final like he did, that's just unbelievable. It doesn't happen. How good was, was he? Oh, he was... For a bloke who was six foot, he, uh, he played centre-half forward. Uh, against all the, the tall backmen and beat all of them too at some stage. And uh, every game, at some stage during the game, he'd do something and I'd just stand there and think to myself, I cannot believe what I've seen. Baldock, oh, Jack Hill, the blind miner, could see that coming. St Kilda never lost a game when Baldock played well at centre-half forward. Number one ruckman, Carl Dittrich, missed the 66 grand final through suspension. Times like these, Carl Dittrich, lend themselves to reflection. I don't mean to open up an old wound, but you know I'm going to ask you about a bloke called Daryl Peoples. Play for Fitzroy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I It's know. round 17, 1966. Mm. You whack him and you get the extraordinary suspension of six matches. Firstly, did you hit him? 
Well, I hit him, but what I hit him with, I believe, was just straight down the line. It was on the boundary line near the wing, and uh, I, you know, I'm really sorry there was no replay of it, or there was mm. no television of those of that particular game. But uh, yeah, I, I sort of ran. I, well, I ran through him. You know, there's no mm. doubt about it. Now, whether I raised my elbow or whatever, I couldn't tell you. But I got out of jail free in a way because we won the game. I think if we had lost the game, then I think uh, the St Kilda football ground would have, you know. Well, the grandstand probably would have fallen on me. I would have been, you know, very, very upset. Before Ross Oakley became the CEO of the AFL, he was a spectacular wingman and occasional full forward whose career was cut short by knee injuries. 1965, you're established, you're an automatic selection in the team. You're injured in the semi-final, you don't play in the grand final. That's right, yep. History repeats itself in 1966 and you're forced to watch the club's only premiership win. Yes, that was the greatest disappointment of my life, not just my sporting life uh, of my life, to miss our only grand final. Uh, and as you know, I sat next to Carl Dittrich, mm. who also missed that game uh, due to suspension. Did you make it down to the ground after the, um, the final siren? We ran down through the stand, through the rooms and onto the ground, so we were out there. Um, and uh, that was a fantastic environment and terrific atmosphere but uh, you still don't feel part of it. Alan Morrow was a 29-year-old undersized ruckman with dodgy knees, and he finished his career on a high. Alan, in, in 1966, you've played in a premiership team. You've been St Kilda's best player at least eight times that year. You're 29 and you walk away. I thought, look, they've got Dittrich and Minot there. And I'm the little bloke, so mm -hmm. who's going to be the bloke to be uh, missing out? And uh, I just thought to myself, uh, look, you can't do any better than win a premiership. And that's what we've done and uh, I've achieved it. I'm happy, I'm satisfied. Morrow tears out to mark at the final siren and St Kilda take their first premiership after 69 years. As the siren sounds to mark St Kilda's first ever premiership, the ball is in your hands. I mean, it must have been a moment you, you'll cherish forever. A minute earlier, uh, we'd kicked a point. They kicked out from full back and it went over the pack that I was in and uh, who should be there by himself but uh, Tuddenham. And uh, I said to Smithy, chase him because I couldn't catch anyone. And uh, for some unknown reason, I thought he would have bounced the ball and... Uh, but he didn't, he kicked it and... Uh, Bob Murray marked it and I thought immediately I've got to head to the boundary because if we get to the boundary we can knock it over. Hit the boundary line, 28 and a half gone. Bobby's such a beautiful kick and I thought well I've got to try and get it and just as it lobbed at the hands uh, the siren went. And jubilation knows no bounds and exhaustion is forgotten in the historic moment. Dedicated Alan Jeans has accorded vigorous and hair-raising congratulations for his grand contribution to the victory. Ball punched away here from Tuddenham by Bingley. John Bingley has the big job of looking after Des Tuddenham. That's the big assignment. Bingley to take the free kick for St Kilda. See Des Tundam and John Bingley together and you would swear they're lifelong buddies. But it wasn't always the case, was it? Uh, well, not really. Um, well, take us back to Grand Final Day 1966. Yeah, well, uh, don't as, tell John, as John knows, it's a long while ago. But uh, Don't tell you, lies. Uh, not every day. Uh, you can have an opportunity, you know, playing someone that's uh, just playing nine games of league football. So it was easy to, you know, walk out there and sh shake well, hands with him. He wouldn't shake hands with him. No, so, I know that. Now, now Binger, you're what? playing your ninth game of football. Yeah. You're up against the man who's kicked seven goals in the second semi. Seven goals, six. Seven. He wasn't a bad and, player. And you you refused to shake his hands before the game? Well, mate, I don't shake anyone's hands that walks over with a smirk on his face as if to say, who are you? you you're a nothing. <laughs> and that, that's the way he looked at me. And I said, go and... He said, yeah. I said, go and get you-know-what. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? You are, yeah. So you thought he treated you with contempt, did you? I, well, I couldn't hit him. 
Well, the game hadn't started. Oh, the game hadn't started. No. Did you know who he was, Des? No, I didn't really. He's a liar, um, he didn't know. I didn't know. You reckon you made him famous, don't you? I mean, you're the bloke, you're the Collingwood <laughs> captain. You're the most important player in black and white that day. You've kicked seven goals in the second semi. And as you, in your words, a nobody from Tasmania comes along and you've made him famous. John, in his own right, obviously earned his spot, you know? And of course, the play, play uh, he had a, a big job in, uh, after me playing so well in the final, you know? And I was, I actually, I really wanted, before the game, I said to Bobby Rose, I wanted to play in the centre that day. I wanted to tag Stuart. Mm. And um, but Bobby said, no, you're too, too valuable up forward. Well, probably did cost him the game. If I can butt in, I know you're not going to say too much about Bob Rose, but he kept him on the half-forward line for three and a bit quarters, and the only time they look like beating is when they put him on the ball. So, Des, how many times have you played over in your head what might have happened in the last minute? You've got the footy, you're streaming forward, I presume you're looking for Ian Graham. What happened from there? Reed is in front. Behind there is Putnam. Putnam with the whole field in front of him. Well, you still, still see Ian Graham today, you know, and, and Bob Murray together. And, and all of a sudden, Ian Graham just doubled back, you know, thinking that I was going to probably have one more bounce and go over, over his head, you know, so... Did you, did you weigh up whether you should have had another bounce or...? or uh... No, at that given time, to be honest with you, no, I just drove it in there. I thought, well, this is it, you know, I knew it was, it was minutes ago, only minutes ago, you know, yeah. so I really had to drive it in there, you know. Probably uh, when you think back and, you know, it's easier to talk afterwards, mm. you know, and say, yeah, well, Rossi Smith was chasing me, he might have grabbed me, but if he had grabbed me, it would have been the same result. Yeah. Are you jealous of Binger? He's a premiership player. I is put it, it this way, I'm not, I'm not you jealous, were, you were I'm jealous. I'm, you were shitty. I still believe, yeah, yeah sure, I'm shitty because mm. you're playing three grand finals and you, you don't have a cup. But it's 50 uh, years on, is the wound still raw? Yes. No, yeah, no, a little the bit. Cup is, the cup is, but not, not our friendship, not at no, all. No, 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 but yeah, of course, I'd love to have had the cup, you know, you see, uh, you see Baldock with a cup, he's got my jumper on mm. and he's got the cup and uh, yeah, sure, it would be, would be fantastic to have it home. You today. are interviewing us as if well, this is 50 years ago, right? Yep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's going to be a free kick here to Young Davis. Alan Davis is one of only five players of 12,400 in league history to win a flag as a 17-year-old. He's the youngest player on the ground, this fellow. Only 17 years of age. Alan Davis, you were a premiership player before you had a licence to drive. <laughs> it must have been amazing, sort of just... Were you still at school then? Yeah, I was high school, yep. Yeah. Melbourne High. Yep. And you were in the first premiership team for St Kilda Footy Club. Mm-hmm. What was your function that day? Forward pocket. Yeah. Forward pocket. I'd play the week before against Essendon, and that's how I got a game in the grand final side. During the week, that grand final week, Darrell had a really... Uh, severe knee injury. Darryl Baldock. Yeah, yeah. Yep. probably shouldn't have played. If it hadn't been a grand final, he wouldn't have played. So he, he had an injections and stuff like that. And he's told me since that when he kicked his first goal, he thought his leg was going to drop. Mm. This season's All-Australian captain, Mr Magic's perfect punt kick sails between the posts for St Kilda's second goal in five minutes. Well, the guy that I was playing on was a bloke called Montgomery, and Montgomery was what do you say, a straight-ahead player. <laughs> he probably wasn't um, over-skilled, but he, uh, he got in his way and he was a bloody nuisance. Really, really black, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. well-built yeah. and, and he, yeah, he'd clean you up as soon as look at you. So um, they'd obviously discussed this at the selection committee and before the game started, Alan Jean said to me, I want you to stand on the point post and don't leave. Well, that's easy to tell somebody to do, but when you're out on the ground, you'll obviously, if the ball's there, you'll come up the ground and go towards it. But every time I ran up the ground, out would come the runner. So I had a dog of a day. That's not my excuse. I, I got a couple of touches here and there and stuff like that. But really, when you're so concerned about not, you know, at that age, all you want to do is get the ball. Yep. Um, and looking back, it's probably there was no other course for them to take because they're trying to protect their gun centre. So, so the strategy was to use you as a decoy yeah, exactly. to protect Doc. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's just so Montgomery couldn't get him. Yeah. Really. Yeah. How were you when the siren sounded 
and you're part of a premiership team, but you're frustrated about your role in it. Oh, depressed. You are? No, your performance, performance is, is... The ultimate thing is you like to feel like you've been a contributor. I, and if you're a competitor, that's the way, way you'll mm. be. Even though the team's won? Oh, yeah, but I was so young at that stage anyway. Most of the players, I probably didn't have real contact with any mm. of them. Mm. They're senior players 10 or so years older than me. So I'd played probably eight games for that year, something around about that. Ten. Ten games mm -hmm. for the year. Um, and really, my friends at that stage were my age group, yep. the ones in the reserves. Charge up and bring a toast to our coach. Five years later, the Saints contested one of the most brutal grand finals of all time. Oh, good time, Murray there. A ball knocked away. Looks like Murray's in a bit of trouble. They go through it on the outer side. Kilda defender Gary Colling had blanketed dangerous Hawthorne half-forward Bob Keddie for three quarters, but endured a horror last term. Gary Colling, can you revisit 1971 without tears? Uh, probably the worst day of my life, uh, Mike. It, uh, I think up till three-quarter time, uh, things were going OK. Uh, you were playing on Bob Keddie? Bob Keddie, yes. Bob Keddie had touched the ball three times, to my knowledge. Apparently, yes. Yeah. And then... Uh, there was talk about he and Hudson both going off at three-quarter time, and uh, instead they switched positions. And um, Hawthorne were playing Hutto's paddock, or Pagan's paddock, or whatever it was in those days, where everyone was moved up the ground. And uh, Keddie and I were one out in the goal square, and I think he kicked three in about ten minutes. I think within yourself, you know that uh, you've let a group of people down. And as it's transpired now, 50 years later, there was an opportunity that uh, it could have been two. So three-quarter time, Hawthorne moved Keddie into the goal square. Mm -hmm. Was there any ever, any talk that you about you not going with him, or did you just no, automatically no. follow him because he was being your man? In hindsight, now, there's, if you're coaching, you would say, right, let's get this bloke uncomfortable. He's, he's normally playing half-back flank. He gets the rattles up a little bit uh, jumpy in terms of going uh, back to full-back. I hadn't played a lot of games. I can't even recall whether I actually ever did play uh, full-back. By the time the 1971 grand final rolled round, Carl Dittrich was fit and rearing to go after missing the 66 trial. What hurt most, Carl, having to watch the Saints win their first and only flag when you're fit or playing in 71 and being so close to playing one yourself and not getting there? Very difficult question. Um, well, I, I, it would be 71 because St Kilda won the grand final. And I mean, basically, uh, look, I was just a raw kid out of high school, out of East, coming out of East Brighton, played a year of seniors. And uh, it was an overwhelming experience at 17-year-old mm. playing, you know, VFL. 1971, St Kilda's in charge. I think you're the best part of four or five goals up in the third quarter. Mick Porter and Ray Wilson, according to the reports, sandwich you coming opposite directions at a fair pace, take all the steam out of you and your impact on the game's diminished. Do you remember that? Well, I don't actually, to be honest. But, uh, well, I played on and uh, it's just one of those things I, I really don't, you know, like I can't individualise or, you know... So really you don't remember actually being less effective in the last quarter than you'd been uh, prior to that? Well, my understanding, I wasn't all that effective anyhow. I don't think it was <laughs> a rainy, drizzly day. And I uh, thought you were pretty good. You didn't, you didn't share that view? No, no, I didn't share that. I was, I, well, my recollection was that I wasn't playing in the ruck, I was playing rucker over. Mm. So I thought that, you know, in, in hindsight, I think the team was a little bit, you know, unbalanced, to be honest. You know, mm. when you've got a six-foot, uh, four-and-a-half bloke that plays traditionally in the ruck mm. and, you know, has done pretty well, you know, throughout his career and he's not relegated, but 
playing ruck rover, it's a foreign sort of position, isn't mm. it, really? Here they come. It's Ditterich and Heath. Ditterich gets the knock over towards Smith. Smith handballs it out towards Glenelg. Hand passes to Ditterich. He was best man on the ground at three quarter time, no doubt about that. Um, and and his third quarter was was electrifying, as a, as a quarter that a ruckman could play in those days. Uh, and he took Scotty and, and the Hawthorne team almost apart on his own. And and then he got concussed towards the end of the third quarter and, and went out of the game. Pretty tough game, don't worry about that. You know, a lot of players were getting, you know, hit hard and, uh, you know, it was very intense, don't worry about that. Anyone that you collected that you... Uh... Well, there weren't many games when you didn't collect someone, were there? I'm not sure. It could have been a Heath. Was there a Heath a playing Heath, for... yes. <laughs> I think he might have been tagging me and I think I did give him something. You yes, know. you're not and sure. You just think. Well, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Leading up to 71, on the outside looking in, so correct me if I'm wrong here, you had a team meeting. Genji uh, was in charge, obviously. They talked about how many goals Hudson might kick. A voice from the uh, rear of the crowd um, said that it's it's very difficult for him to do it, Hudson, if he was unconscious. He said, we've played Hawthorne three times this year and Hardo's kicked six in every game, so we've got to think our game plan out around the fact that he's going to kick six goals and we've got to work around that. And I, I said at the back, as a joke, it was not meant seriously. I just said, you can't kick goals if you're unconscious. And, uh, as a joke? As it, certainly as a joke, I, I can't remember, like I've, I've run in and hit people with a body, but I've never punched anyone that I can remember. But yeah, and uh, it was just a joke, but that's the way it turned out. Mm. And I was running out and the ball come across and I saw him sort of turn round to look at, just at the ball there and I was just behind him and I thought it was a too good opportunity to miss, so I let him have one. And, he went out and uh, he wasn't too well and the umpire gave me a free kick against him. I said, what was the free kick for? He said, oh, Wayne Judson pushed him in the back. I said, oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> back in the centre, the ball is bounced by umpire Peter Shields. Here they go. remember, and the only time I've ever watched the replay, and, uh, and I was really disappointed in myself because I was ruck rover at the time instead of playing ruck. And, uh, the ball went up and instead of being smart enough to move around, I was sort of more or less being attacking, hoping that Brian Minot would get the, you know, the ball down our way to our side so we could drive it forward. But unfortunately, we didn't get it. It was going the other way. And uh, Don Scott was directing it more to his Rovers, you know, and uh, Matthews and these blokes. And really what I should have done was position myself more on the defensive side in hindsight rather than trying to be attacking and hoping, you know, that we can get it our way. Alan, you're 17 when you win the flag. Of course, you're not going to remember too much about that. 1971 comes around, five years on. Probably, certainly could have been another St Kilda flag, couldn't it? Hmm. What's your assessment of what unfolded in the last 30 or 40 minutes that day? Well, if, you, if you're really trying to play, place the blame somewhere else, you don't look at yourself. I didn't play well. I played full forward that day. Um, and I would say that to play a player of under six foot and the ball's getting bombed down and you've got a bloke six foot four, you can just punch it away. To my way of thinking, it's just bad selection. Bob Ketty taking over the last quarter, bad selection. I just think it's bad moves. and and. Moves in a game can make the difference. But, but Bob Ketty, mm -hmm. in the instance you're talking about, mm -hmm. had been held by Gary Colling for three quarters, had barely touched it. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't you have sent Colling with him? Yeah, but he's never, he was never the player that played on... Um, Jimmy O'Day always played on Ketty. What, what was your emotional state after 71? Again? Oh, devastating. Yeah. Absolutely ruined. I was so disappointed. <laughs> you never get over it. After the heartbreak of 1971, the Saints endured a roller coaster ride and slumped to the wooden spoon in 1979. 
one of six inflicted on the club before they reached their next grand final in 1997. Let's come out onto the ground with the St Kilda Football Club as they're about to take on the Crows for the 1997 Grand Final. Jamie Shanahan was a solid fullback for the Saints, but he had no answers for the brilliant Crow Darren Jarman in the final quarter of the 1997 Grand Final. When Darren Jarman's on, I'm not sure that there was anyone in the competition at the time that could have curtailed him. Well, he had me for agility at that stage. I was, I was sort of too big, um, and he wasn't the sort of bloke that I generally would have played on over the last couple of years. So. What I really needed was was enough pressure that the first lead, maybe the second, the kick was forced and then you're in with a chance. But when a guy like that can move three or four times, um, change direction, you, you lose a bit each time and, and you know you're in trouble. Pinpoint accuracy, a clinical finish. Did the runner come out to you at any particular time and sort of say, let's, we need to reassess here? He, he came out, I don't know at what point it was, um, and it was something like, you know, Stan wants to know whether you want to be moved. And, you know, as a... No, I don't know if anyone's ever going to put their hand up and go, oh, yeah, get me out of here. You, you just... You back yourself to, to win the next contest, mm. so... You see, I must say, I think you're on quite good terms with what happened. That was... You did your best, it didn't work out, you move on. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Looking back on it now, uh, that I'm, you know, 15 years out of the game, it's... It's a game. Mm. You know, when you're in it, you're... You're fully invested and it's your life. But, um, you know, an ex-teammate of mine said recently that you realise when you're in the, the game, you think that it's the most important thing in the world. And, and once you're out, you realise that, you know, more people are not, couldn't care less. So you're not haunted by it? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I would have loved the result to go differently. Mm. Don't get me wrong. But, but um, you know, I keep saying if that's the worst thing that happens in my life, I'm, I've done pretty well. see what he does. The boy from Broadford started out his sporting life as a boxer. Now looking for his third goal in as many minutes. Runs round. Shoots. St Kilda fans like it. They love it. Barry Hall, you're 19, you're playing in the grand final. You kick your third goal in four minutes and the Saints are 16 points up. Can you take us back to that moment, what you were thinking? What can you remember that, or has it just all happened too quickly? Yeah, it looks pretty vivid, but obviously I remember kicking the goals. Um, I think, uh, you know, we are behind at one stage. When, when I kicked my first, I think we got in front. Uh, we started to get a bit of a roller. Can Barry kick his second in two minutes? It looks good. It's a beauty. The guy was a young bloke and um, didn't really know what I was doing at that stage. I was just running around and it fell into my lap a little bit. But, um, yeah, look... Um, it was your 19th game. Yeah, mm. yeah. Look, I was I was still very green. Um, had a lot to learn about the game, and as I said, I was probably a bit lucky with a couple of them. But um, yeah, like like most games at that stage of my career, I was I was uh, out before I was uh, before I was in. Really, I, you know. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, I, you know, I'd be in and out of games. I remember once you and I were having a drink, and you said to me, and the quote was, "I couldn't really give a shit about that grand final." And yeah, I, and I was staggered by that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was, I'm staggered by it now because, uh, <laughs> you know, you're young and stupid. And I, I think after um, leaving St Kilda, which I did have to do uh, for my own uh, personal self, um, I think after joining a successful club and actually winning a premiership and, and not playing finals for a long period of time, um, after that 97 grand final, we just thought, oh, we'll back it up the next year and here we go again. You know, we didn't play finals um, after that, so... Uh, you sort of treasure those things a little bit. And, you know, we always hear players saying that you've got to treasure these moments. 
I didn't really treasure the 97 grand final probably the way I should. Um, you know, losing the 97 grand final and then losing 2006 with Sydney, totally different emotions. Yeah. I was shattered with Sydney. You know, from there, you know, 2006 to 97, where I took no responsibility. I didn't really care if we won a loss, and that, that might be shocking to people, mm. but at that stage, that's that's where I was as a player and, and probably as a person outside of footy. Andrew Plimpton's tenure as St Kilda president saw the club climb to the grand final in 1997, but he endured plenty of pain along the way. 1997, I'm sure it's still a tender wound for you, is it? Yeah, I haven't watched the replay. You've never seen it? No, never seen it. Never seen it. It, it, it is, I mean, there's probably a couple that you could say yeah. got away. Yeah. That's clearly one, isn't it? But I think with, with injury, etc. our lead-in was fantastic. I mean, how we led in at the back end of 97, 13 wins. You know, and then to lose uh, two of our key big guys to... Yeah, Lazar, yeah, 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 Lazar was critical to us. Uh, Spider was, Spider Everett, I think All-Australian Ruckman that year. And, you know, Spider also had the ability to kick goals for us. So to lose Spider, you know, Winmar's father's death, you know, to lose... Nicky's father died, what, two days before the yeah, grand final? Yeah, two, two days before Thursday. Two years after that grand final, yeah. Stan Elves has taken you to a grand final yes. and finals the following year in 1998 and yeah. you sack him. Yeah. I, I think the time had come that Stan had not the support from the, from the players in the club. I think Stan, retrospectively, you know, and having written his book, probably regards that his time was up as well. After the loss of the grand final, his motivation was everything we had to do to improve the club. I mean, he was so hard-edged about so many things. I mean, he was just offensive to a lot of people in the club environment. So I thought it was time that he... And you, as president of yeah. this football club, turns your attention to Tim Watson. Yeah. He's a newsreader on Channel 7. Yeah. Untried as a coach. Yes. It was a bold move, wasn't it? It was a bold move. Newsreader, I like that. <laughs> um, it was a bold move. Looking back, because now you get time to look back on your history, uh, the club was looking for a coach of a different, you know, a different personality, different motivation. But softer after Stan? Yeah, that. And we sort of lose a little bit of sight of history sometimes that he wasn't necessarily in the wings to, to be a ready replacement, but Trevor Barker. You know, we are told Barks to leave the club as much as he wanted to stay involved, went to Sandy. Outstanding coaching record at Sandham, came back and coached our reserves. And if there's, you know, a heartfelt memory in my club's history is the loss of Trevor Barker. You know, what an outstanding human being he was out. So he'd been person. ordained for the job? So he had been, yeah, he had been in effect ordained for the job. So somebody once wrote that in some ways I was looking for another Trevor Barker. Mm. You know, it was a personal attachment, the type that Trevor, Trevor was and Tim, very similar personality types. Tim would say now that he wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And I think it's an eternal regret for him yes. that, he, that he did yeah. coach. Yeah. When did the alarm bell start to ring for you? At the end of, at the, end of the first season that he coached. I mean, he started off and the club started off in brilliant form. I mean, I think halfway through Tim's first season, we were, you know, we were second on the ladder. We had some bad luck. We had a loss against Hawthorne after being 63 points ahead. But I think the killer wasn't that game. It was the following week against Collingwood when we were 27 points up at three-quarter time and lost that. So things un unwound. So, yeah, look at the end of the first season. I think Tim realised... I think we all got to realise that Tim's style of management of you know, people... In those days, you didn't have as many assistant coaches, etc., like that, but... Now it's so much, you know, about management of people and resources and perhaps that was Tim's weakness. Did he walk away or did you push him? Not at all. He walked. I mean, that just shows the manner of how... Tim, I don't think... You know, I still see, see Tim privately. You know, I call Tim a good friend of mine. I do remember saying to him a few times, Mike, you stay in this job, you bastard, keep going. Uh, I think Tim came to the decision. He really didn't want to go for a year two. In fact, you know, he resigned at the back end of year two. Twelve years later, in 2009, St Kilda had blossomed into one of the AFL's strongest clubs and, under Ross Lyon, they reached the grand final two years in a row, with only more heartache at the end of each. Zach Dawson spins it, but it's Travis Soccer by Scarlett to Ablett in the tip of the goal square. It's a snap by Chapman, and Chapman's kicked the goal. St Kilda beaten only twice during the year by a grand total of seven points. Find themselves seven points down. Nuno at best, 
Ball bouncing. Oh, oh. Scores a level. Oh, oh, no. Justin Kosicki, 15 finals, three grand finals, no cups. When you look back at it in those stark statistical terms, what do you think? Uh, it was obvious that we had a chance uh, with 15 finals and played three for none. Um, it's, uh, it's, well, it's disappointing. The pain of the losses, I mean, I'm sure it's so acute in the hours, days and weeks afterwards, but do you look back on it now fondly? Are you glad that you made it? Straight after it, I sort of was of the opinion that I'd rather not have played in them. To go through that hurt, uh, especially after losing the second one, I'd rather have not have not have made it or made the grand final. But now, as years go on, you know, absolutely grateful that we had the chance, but it doesn't ease the pain. Just remember how much this hurts. Bottle it, use it to motivate you. The uh, the loss to Geelong and obviously the, the draw to Collingwood. Which, in your mind, is the one that you should have won? I think if we executed right, the Geelong game, you know, it goes down as as St Kilda Premiership. That, that hurts to the fact that we're clearly the best side for the whole year. You know, I don't think anybody can dispute that, winning 19 in a row and finishing on top. And I think we lost three games for the you year. 22 out of 24 until the grand final. So, yeah, we've lost three games for the year by a total margin of 24 points mm. or something. Else. And one of them happened to be the granny. Um, so, as you look at a dominant year, that, that's, the, that's the one that got away. Um, when I think about the Geelong grand final, I think about missed opportunities in front of goal. Um, we, we you got four or five in the second quarter. We dominated. I can remember just dominating the play and, and to kick four or five. And, you know, four or five sometimes might be rushed behinds or hard shots or whatever, but you'll find that the five points were really gettable goals yeah. from the top of the square. And, you know, to dominate, have so many inside 50s uh, and to go in only a goal up at half time, you know, really, I think, sapped us a little bit. We, we played on in the last half, obviously fought to, the, fought to the death, but I think being professional footballers and taking those opportunities, I think, you know, we went in six goals up at half-time. It might be a different story. And it was a day where neither side deserved to lose. We all spare a thought for the Saints. They've been magnificent from uh, the start of the season till the final siren in the grand final. Over 10, the Collingwood draw, to me, it feels like it hurts a little bit more. Mm. Because well, it, it's Collingwood? Probably. But <laughs> because you've gone through the, the heartache of, of losing it, and, and it, was, it wasn't just something that you fluke. Like, it was to get to that, into that position in 09 was, was literally eight, nine, ten years of work from a core group of people to get there after losing three prelims, four, five, and eight. Mm -hmm. I think we finished fourth. Um, in 2010, we go in at half-time against Collingwood on our knees, 20-odd points down. Michael Gardner had just done his hamstring, so we're Ruckman down. We only took one Ruckman in. Um, and I can remember the group being pulled together by Rue, basically saying, if, if, you don't, if there's anybody in here that doesn't believe we can win it, don't, don't run out with us. Of course, everyone's going to run out, but it was like, you're right, we've come so far, we've done all this work, let's just chip away bit by bit by bit and erode this, um, erode the margin and see where we are. So we went out and we did that, we, we moved things around, Guardi had gone, I had to go and play on the ruck, I think Sammy Gilbert went forward, put some great forward pressure on, gave us a few scoring opportunities, we chipped away within a goal or something at three quarter time. And then that last quarter is just as fierce and tense footy as you can get. Mm. The memory of Lenny um, with a busted voice box. Yeah. You know, you remember him getting his Norm Smith and he couldn't speak. Yeah. You know, he'd been kicked in the voice box. You have to bear with me. I've lost my voice, but uh, we'll, we'll come back next week. Thanks for all the supporters for coming out. See you next week. Thank you. He was throwing himself on stuff like they were landmines and just getting out, picking himself up. And the, the whole momentum of everybody jumping on the back of that was just chip away and chip away and then... You know, it gets to a stage where, you know, BJ takes a hanger and puts us up. I remember turning around and a couple of minutes ago, BJ put that goal through, looking at Stevie Baker and keep going, we've got this. This is happening. We've got this. It's, uh, 
we're going to do it. That was the that was the feeling. Would you say are you haunted? Is that too strong a word about the, the grand final losses? Um, I, I think it's too strong because you certainly think about it a lot. Um, you wonder if your life would be different. Hmm. Do you think it would? That's a great question. I, I don't know is the answer. Since the 1966 triumph, St Kilda has contested seven grand finals for no flags. After the break, we analyse the reasons why. Well, it is mystifying, isn't it? The culture of the place probably wasn't suited to win premierships. It gets back to your quality of players in the end. It's a burden that is very hard to shake. Ross, as you well know, your footy club was a foundation club in this competition. Mm. It's won one flag. Mm. Is it a case of, is the club blighted? Have the gods just turned their back on St Kilda? Is it bad management? What's your explanation for what's happened? Look, if we really knew, it'd be fixed, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. um, and there's lots of, lots of reasons that are thrown up, the draft, uh, poor selections, um, the administration, uh, all those sorts of things. But I, I think we've got to go back a little further than that, a little deeper than that. And I remember a uh, psychologist coming to see me at the AFL back in, in the early 80s, or mid-80s it was, and he was trying to explain to me that all clubs are like people, they all have personalities. And those personalities, when you're under pressure, uh, come out in, in all instances. And he was explaining that Melbourne, you know, were the club of the silver spoon mm. and, and Carlton were the, 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 the side that expected to win and when they don't win, they go off the rails and, and you can look at things now and say, wow, you know, there were some tremendous insights. Collingwood were the club that everyone was against. And uh, so they were fighting the world trying to try and win games of footy. Western Bulldogs were a club that didn't believe that they should be where they were if they got into the finals. And the, the, the propensity was to lose. So isn't that similar to St Kilda? And I think St Kilda has a very, had a very and still has a very similar uh, type of culture uh, within the club. Now, that culture can be changed by a great coach or a great administrator, some great players, as it was in 66. We changed it, we won a flag. But uh, when you lose those, th those powerful elements in the club, they revert to what their, what their real culture is. Do you think there, was a, there is or was an inferiority complex at St Kilda? Um, Look, I don't, I, I don't know how you explain it. I'm not sure that it's an inferiority complex, um, but it's, it's something in the makeup that has done this. You can't say that for 100 years they've had bad luck uh, picking players. You just can't say that. You can't say we've had poor administration all that time. We've had some terrific administration. Um, so there's got to be some other explanation. And, you know, the older I get, I suppose, the more I fall back on these things like, you know, it's the culture. Have a look at Hawthorne. They were losers. And all of a sudden, uh, not overnight, but over a period of two decades, they became winners. And they became the family club, for heaven's sake. And that happened back in the early to mid-60s. Mm. Um, and it took almost two decades for everyone to say, oh, yeah, Hawthorne, the family club. Um, and now they've got that culture and, and it's been changed over a long, long period of time. So it does take time to change it. You've spent the best part of 30 years at St Kilda as a player, as a coach of the seconds, and working in the footy administration department. Mm -hmm. Have they been unlucky? Are they blighted? Has it been poor management? What's, what's, been the, what's the answer? Oh, I think a combination of both. I think um, when I first went there, the Drake Huggins recruiting was um, obviously very good. Um, he'd hunted a lot of WA players. Um, 
a lot of really star players that I played with and in retrospect, I, mean, I probably should have won another three or four with the quality of people we had. The ads, from the outside looking in, there's something peculiar about St Kilda. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't actually articulate what it is, but is it, is it a different footy club to you? Is it, is it, do they shoot themselves in the foot a bit, do you think? Well, I th under Genji, it was, um, there was a really solid workmanlike ethic, but I still think that we could have gone... Well, I still don't think we played anywhere near to the capabilities we could have. I think recruiting... Um, after the Draghi and Huggins, um, after 78. We, we lost a, a huge amount of players. You lost guys like Phil Stevens, Rex Hunt, Carl went to Melbourne, the Elliott brothers went to Melbourne, um, I think George Young went back to um, Perth. So you take all of those uh, mature players out, like 28 years of age, all those games out of the side, there wasn't a continuance in terms of recruiting and I really reckon we suffered. suffered. Um, and then people uh, clamoured onto the fact that we're nearly a one-man club, so Barks became the hero, um, then Lockett became the hero. And when you look around them, there weren't a lot of uh, players as such. So people weren't... There weren't so much uh, wanting the club to win as, as long as their heroes were playing well. So we lost that whole team um, culture aspect. But they had no role models. 1965 to 1973, the Saints win 126 out of 198 games. That's a 63% strike rate. How could what followed occur after that? I mean, with that basis? Yeah, well, I, th I think, as I said, the, uh, the recruiting um, and, and again, zoning paid a fair uh, uh, point in that. Like, Drakey was huge. He thought we were going to get the Frankston area. In the end, Hawthorne got it. So we had to go to, uh, to Ballarat. And um, again, that, that created a lot of problems because um, whilst we had some good players from Ballarat, they weren't prepared to move down. When they went to Moorabbin, the zone was Frankston area. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how they did it, Ron Cook and um, Phil Ryan, but they're obviously good operators because they actually got the zone changed. Brayton, Matthews, all those guys from the peninsula were driving past Moorabbin. Now that, if we'd had those players, it gets back to your quality of players in the end. It's and as simple as that. I reckon. Oh, no, I, I, I do think we have been a bit unlucky. Uh, and... Not same. Oh well, certainly through the period that I was there, but uh, the last ten or twelve years, when that's a couple of years when Rossi Lyon was coaching, we got beaten in two grand finals. I, we were just very unlucky in both of those ones. That that draw that that Collingwood drew with us, and then went come back the next week and flogged us. But only had to bounce an extra foot one way, and mm. Milne would have got it and kicked a goal. Which is the one that got away? Is there one that they should have won? I, th I thought, from my point of view, I thought the Geelong one, we should have won, really. I did, but, yeah, those things do happen. Carl, we know the story, the sad fact. One premiership, um, 27 wooden spoons. People are fascinated by the St Kilda Footy Club. What makes it what it is and why hasn't it been more successful? Well, it is mystifying, isn't it? You know, I, I think in a way, Jeans, he, uh, a couple of times there, we played unfit players, you know, or players on the verge of being unfit. And uh, I mean, luck's a lot of fortune, I think, in, you know. Mm. Like, it's only a couple of inches that goes sure. in between the goals or it doesn't, or you overrun the ball or you pick the yeah. ball up. And, you know, luck is an incredible thing. What about the pain when you're watching, say, the... Stan Els's team in 1997 lose to Adelaide. Rossi Lyons' two grand final yep. teams lose. How difficult is that as an ex-player and, and as a, you know, a hero of this footy club? Well, I don't think I've told anyone this, but basically I went to the rooms after it and I broke down. I had to go to the toilet. I was starting to, you know, the tears get watery. The tears started to come and so never the pain really... burns that deeply. Oh God, yeah. Why can't this football club make a success of its life? I can only speak from when I was there. Um, the culture of the place probably wasn't suited to win premierships. Um, what does that mean? Well, it's probably not being as professional as we could be off-field. And I was a big part of that. And I was probably doing the Saints a favour by leaving because, um, you know, I did a lot of bad stuff um, and didn't help that culture. Do you think there's a lack of 
pride, a lack of expectation at St Kilda? When I went to Melbourne, I noticed a massive difference in, I mean, in terms of recent success, the clubs were quite similar. Um, but Melbourne were, were very strong on their heritage as a club and the, and the pride in what had been achieved in the past. And that was never talked about at St Kilda in my time. There was, there was some talk about 66 and, and what mm. a great time that had been, but, but they were quite different in how they viewed their culture and history and, and, and pride, I guess, in what the club had done. You, you were um, involved in the highs and lows in your playing career. Yeah. The grand finals in 65, 66 and 71. Mm. Yeah. There's a broad view that the talent at St Kilda's disposal at the time should have won more than one flag. Do you agree with that? Oh, with the talent that was at our disposal, yeah, I think we probably should. Did we have that best team together at any one time? There's an argument that we didn't. Um, and you can go all the way back to Brian Gleeson, who won a Brownlow in 57 and never played again. Um, George Young, John McIntosh, Paul Dodd, um, Jimmy Wallace, Jimmy Guyatt. Uh, th there is nearly a team of blokes who did knees or ankles or whatever and really snuffed their careers out. And we never had, I reckon, the nucleus of our best side at any time. It was always bits and pieces of it. And I think if we had had a better run with injuries, Jeansy certainly was not as good a coach then as he was when he went to Hawthorne. He was only young when he started and he learnt certainly along the way. He was still a great coach, but um, he was still learning the game back then. So a whole range of factors that go to making sure that we, we didn't win another plague. I've got a sense that the St Kilda people have got their own dose of the collie wobbles a bit, and that they go there and sort of think the worst and they haven't got that confidence that you'd expect. Well, I think that's always been the case because in 60, we played in 65, we lost that, and we, I think we perhaps were a better side than Essendon in those days. Uh, we learned a little bit in 66, so we got over the, the wobbles a little bit, so-called. And uh, yeah, it's a burden that is very hard to shake. One premiership in 120 years. Yes. You got a theory? I, I think it's difficult to have a theory over 150 years. You've got to probably take it in stages of the, the club's life. Um, bad luck. Um, misadventure, financial circumstances, there's a lot to go, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think just to be generic, generically speaking about an unsuccessful club, you've got to be more analytical about that. Do you, do you resent that broad implication that the St Kilda Football Club has blighted and been badly run and it's just doomed to failure? Yeah, I do. The St Kilda Football Club is a founding club. It has made a significant contribution to the AFL. It's regrettable, unfortunate, it's bloody heartbreaking that we haven't won uh, more than one premiership. You can't break clear. It's taken by Green. That's a point, St Kilda in front. St Kilda in front. In jubilation, there is no bound, and exhaustion is forgotten in the historic moment. A dedicated Alan Jeans is accorded vigorous and hair-raising congratulations for his grand contribution to the victory. From a coach's point of view, that's more of satisfaction that you're being able to guide them and direct them and achieve the ultimate in the game. And it just gives you enormous satisfaction. I think the year before we had a fair few drinks on the, on the Saturday night, not the next grand final. Because all you want to do is just wake up on Sunday morning and throw the blankets back and, and just it's a wonderful world we live in and think how lucky we were to be able to achieve it. Fox Footy Production, part of the Fox Sports Network.